Hello there, and welcome back to Castle Rock Critical, uh, or hello for the first time, if this is indeed the first time that you're listening to us. Today, we're going to be talking about episode five of Castle Rock season one, titled Harvest. Quick spoiler warning for everyone, we're going to be discussing everything up to this point of Castle Rock season one, and we're also going to be uh, theorising and talking about some of the Easter eggs in the Stephen King novels. So if you're not interested in any of the Easter eggs, don't worry, uh, that's at the end of the episode. Um, but just a quick spoiler warning detailing what we're going to be discussing in this week's ep. So today, uh, the gang that I'm joined by, Emma, is back. Hi, guys. Uh, she's going to have everything Stephen King related for that for that delicious King Corner segment. King Corner is lit this week. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, very, that's a young word for you to use, but fine. Down with the kids, isn't it? Yeah, fair play. Uh, Lucy's back. It's lit to be here, everyone. Yeah, Hello. good, good. Good, She's getting all that lingo. And uh, Gaz in Melbourne, good to see you, mate. Hey, mate, I'm I'm in Melbourne, which is like four years behind everywhere else, so I won't be using the word lit. Yeah, don't don't use the word lit. I'm not going to use the word lit. I'm your host, Len. Episode five. Now the show has been on a, I think, a very good trajectory, um, and I want to know if you guys think that episode five, the halfway point, the halfway marker of the series, mm. do you think? the show is still continuing on the upward trajectory are you happy with it lucy yeah i'm loving the show had a revelation this week the kid is beautiful what bill skarsgård yes but in a super creepy way yeah i'm fascinated by his face and i just want to look at it was it his face or was it because he got naked no it wasn't (laughs) that was a bit emaciated for me but i it kind of hit me once he got out of the Cage. I was like, oh my God, look at the bones on him. I mean, Bill Skarsgård is an interesting looking That's man. That's what it is. He's very captivating. Yeah, and captivating. I am captivated by it. But yeah, the show in itself, um, I think it really went up a notch this week. And yeah. I think I was fully engaged and I enjoyed this episode very much. Shall I give a blueberry? Yeah. So for anyone listening for the first time, and sorry to any listeners who have listened to us many times, we'll just have to run through this. Um, we rate everything here at Castle Rock Critical and in our podcast family of other podcasts we rate everything uh on a on a scale of blueberries uh something going back to when we were all friends just chatting about films and television it's made its way onto the podcast uh, scene so the way it works is you have a scale of one to five or zero to five nothing's ever got a zero uh, and you can have no halves it's a very harsh scale and you really have to fall down on a certain on a certain marker loose what are you going for okay i'm going to give it five Beautiful Bill Skarsgård blueberries. Wow, that's a bloody good rating, that. Mm-hmm. Bloody, bloody good rating. And um, quite good. I'm quite good. I'm going to jump in here now and say that John isn't here this week. John is one of the more, <clears throat> I'd say, I've cynical. called him, I've called him cynical or realistic members of the group. He he refuses to be bowed to any hype or any mm. uh, any sort of fan pressure. He. He even messaged saying, sorry he couldn't be there this week, but he gives it a five as well. So John has given it a five and that is saying something. Gareth, going to throw it over to you next in Melbourne. What's your blueberry rating for this episode and highlights and, and overall thoughts? Well, as somebody who is, probably isn't cynical and miserable, I, was, <laughs> I take exception to people who say that people who are cynical and miserable are realists. Like, there's got to be yeah. something deeply psychological about that. The world's it? a dark place, my friend. Anyway, you're feeling nostalgic. That's the problem. Yeah. But speaking of psychology, we saw a bit of that um, in this episode, um, which was interesting trying to get into the psychology of, of the kid, um, trying to understand what is actually happening. We had the uh, we had the, the medical 
um, guys having a go at that, and then we had then we had Molly um, trying to do it as well, and it was it was the first time that we've learnt a little bit about what the kid is actually thinking and how he's feeling yeah which was fascinating yeah definitely um, it was a it was a real insight as a whole i just thought the the atmosphere of this episode was was phenomenal um you know the the burning of the uh, the fires going on nearby gave everything this kind of um strange surreal orangey glow um and and that just added to it uh, obviously i think this is probably the best episode yet mm. uh, i think the highest the highest i've given any of the other episodes is four blueberries. I'm going to agree with the rest of the team so far. I'm giving it the full house. Um, five blueberries out of five. Yeah, cheers, mate. I'm falling all over the place. That's amazing, mate. Yeah, great, another great score. I think this this, this episode's <laughs> looking pretty good at the moment. Um, em, I'm going to jump to you next. Uh, you are most sort of well you and lucy but you've been doing the king corner sort of stuff but you've you've read a lot of the stephen king material um and have been relating it that to the show for us and obviously there's more hints and treats in this episode did this episode continue that trend and what's your blueberry score please um it absolutely did and and lucy and i have got some different experiences of Stephen king i think between us we're probably like king canon experts (laughs) i think um i've been fully absorbed in the world of stephen king for the last three weeks four weeks with research obviously the show watching stuff around um you know from the king canon this episode was absolutely spectacular and i haven't said that word for a while it's your favorite word your buzzword my buzzword you replaced it with tidbit for a bit i think i did yeah Yeah. i did um but for me this episode i think one of the best things about it was the uh, use of silence and very key chosen audio um especially with the kid it was absolutely fantastic there's some great stuff to talk about both like you know scene by scene but also when we get to king corner um and i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely echo the rest of the gang so far and i think this is my second uh score of this level for this uh season but i'm gonna rate this five out of five blueberries bloody hell but yeah, it was a 20 out of 25 at the moment. What what, what am I going to do? So I said it last week and I, I sort of, I just think this show's doing an impressive job of continually shocking us every single week. The plot is always moved forward in a, such an unexpected way. Um, things just happen out of nowhere. It doesn't sort of just sit around and, and do nothing. And I, and I love that about this show. I love the fact that I don't know what I'm in for every time I, you know, every week when we go to watch it, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. For me, so just a little bit of uh, info, I watched this episode uh, last night um, after having general anaesthetic for three hours and then having some morphine and then (laughs) having some painkillers. I watched this about three or four hours after that process um, I've got to say it was spoony enough being like yeah. not high. Yeah, mm. so I, for me, the episode was very scary and very um, very <laughs> heightened experience of watching the show. Um, I have watched it again today in a more uh, sober state. And uh, yeah, it, it blew me away again. I think it's the best episode of the season. I think the, the pacing, even though I said I watched it in this heightened, slightly drugged up state... Um, you know, it's not drugged up. I'm not just recreationally using morphine, by the way. I don't want to get that. I don't <laughs> want to get that out of the way right now. Um, but it felt the pacing feels like a nightmare. It does. It feels sort yeah. of really on edge and and a bit 
out there and I definitely felt that today even again when I watched it my man my, my favorite man my favorite actor in the show Scott Glenn he deserves all the props he is oh, he's just my favorite character in this in this in this show this season I think the the weight that he brings to the character and the range of acting that he shows here in this episode is phenomenal um and it's a definite him episode him and ruth you know um sissy spacek it's, it's sort of their relationship is a very central part of this episode and, and i absolutely love that i'm going to give it five blueberries uh it's a full house i think it might be the first episode of any show we've given a full house of 25 blueberries to the only full house we've ever had i think was uh six out of six infinity stones and that was infinity war yeah. for avengers infinity war which by the way uh is on another podcast channel, but we loved it. So I think it's a good time to jump into the scene-by-scene scene recap now. And for anyone listening for the first time, the way we do things is we're going to go scene-by-scene uh, scene through the episode, discuss, theorise, uh, criticise if need be. And then at the end of that, we're going to go on to King Corner, our own specific section where we link all Easter eggs within the show to any Stephen King novels or adaptations or any theories we have that might link them to those items so stick around for that it's always good fun hello there and sorry to interrupt the podcast quickly uh but i'm here to ask you for your support and subscription if possible if you're enjoying this podcast or have enjoyed any of our previous castle rock podcasts uh then please do subscribe to us we're on any podcast channel itunes stitcher spotify all of that jazz uh it's been a great start to the podcast for us we great reaction from you listeners uh, on social media and basically it's just worth noting that we do have other podcasts as well we actually are part of a network of podcasts so if you like any shows like black mirror stranger things game of thrones westworld or any event movies like uh, avengers infinity war any star wars films we're going to be doing ant-man and the wasp uh, next week then please do subscribe to fan critical that is our parent podcast that is also on all the same channels itunes stitcher spotify any way you like. Um, so if you're into any of that stuff, do check it out. It's the same gang and we meet up every week, have some drinks and dissect films that we love. Now, the Castle Rock community is growing week by week. And as this is a brand new show, I think it's really important that we try and grow the community as best we can amongst other podcasts and also amongst different groups on the internet. Firstly, I want to give a shout out to Castle Rock Historical Society. We mentioned them last week. They're some good podcast friends of ours. And, uh, you know, they have a bit, we have a bit of banter with them online and stuff. It's good fun. Um, they have a great podcast as well covering Castle Rock. So please do go check that out. Acadia, one of the main guys in there, actually grew up in Maine. So that's obviously very relevant for a show like Castle Rock and any sort of Stephen King work. You know, a lot of his stuff is sitting in and around Maine. So that's a really good insight into it. So do go check them out. That is Castle Rock Historical Society. They're on any platform as well and finally just wanted to say that if you do want more information on any castle rock stuff reddit is a great place to go r slash castle rock tv go there that's a growing community that's where we have a lot of chats with fans and uh, come up with some theories and all of that sort of stuff but also don't discount facebook facebook may be dying a death for term in terms of just like being 
somewhere that you store all your personal information but groups are amazing <laughs> on there you know we go on all the groups for like other shows like Westworld or for any Marvel stuff and we're part of several Castle Rock groups and they're all very friendly so please do go on there I'm going to mention some different ones week by week because I think it's really good to grow the community now so the, the first two I'm going to mention this week are Castle Rock Hulu Territory they're good fun and the other one is Castle Rock Hulu Original Official Fandom um, so on that, you just go on Facebook, search for them and join them. And it's a good way to have a discussion with fellow fans and have a good debate on there. You know, it's just friendly. Go check them out. And that's it. Uh, back to the podcast. So we open up in a new time, 2016, a uh, completely new time period for us. I mean, if John was here, he'd hate that because he hates the little numbered titles coming up. <laughs> it's one of his weird bugbears we see our boy henry diva uh, getting checked out he's having an mri or a cat scan and uh, being asked memory related questions he gets asked five words here boat family church dog white and he gets to say them back in any order right important to note for later on mm-hmm. uh, because there's a similar scene that we see later on with the kid so let's just make a note of that now he seems to have some sort of ringing or closed sound in his ear right and this theme of his hearing has been prevalent in a previous episode where the kid even asked him in episode three do you hear it now or can you hear it now we're getting these signs of henry's hearing in this episode back in 2016 and the kid referring to potentially his past that we don't know about yeah so it could be that he's um he's sort of it's sort of like a radio that he's trying to tune in but he, he doesn't He's not doing it deliberately. His his internal radio is automatically trying to find the right station. And so it's coming out as some sort of tinnitus-esque um, yeah. ringing. Um, what I think is maybe interesting is if you think about uh, Molly and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but the kid later on, they've both got lots of lots of things going on in their head that would be very distracting and... Um, upsetting and this is kind of this is henry's henry's version of it i can sort of i can imagine an episode later on where they're all just taking those drugs just to drown out the noises in their head all just taking oxy all the time just all just sitting there having some oxy it's so grim but i can imagine it in this like dilapidated little estate agent building that molly's got I'll be honest. I mean, one of our one of our solid uh, parent podcast fans, uh, love sci-fi, food and cats. Made a point the other day when he was asking for some advice about reading material and movies to watch to get up to date with Castle Rock. That how the how the hell are the residents of Maine dealing with this shit? They must have amnesia, or potentially they're all on oxy. I mean. Drugs would be a very good ex- escape in this town, I imagine, with all of the, the horrors that go on. You would kind of just maybe want to forget it all, to be honest with you. So, well, Zaleski did say in the last episode, like, how long is this town going to turn the other way? Like, yeah, it turns... Just ignore yeah. the, like, horror that's happening, it seems. Yeah. With regards to the sound that you mentioned, um, well, like, harking back to, what was it, episode three, I when he said that, I thought it was, you know, when he, just before um, Alan finds Henry on the lake, you hear, like, a weird sound yeah like the smoke monster from lost yeah yeah it could have been an elk yeah could have been something worse i Nature. thought it was referring to that for yeah some very possible i mean i just i just felt the sort of connection with the the sort of tinnitus in 2016 is getting told and now obviously we know that he had the flashbang grenade and the gunshot in his ear um but i just think it's interesting 
this they why did they show us this in 2016 you know there must be a reason he's hearing mm. something then so it's interesting put a pin in that because i think i think we'll be revisiting that cutting to 2018 and like you mentioned in your sort of highlights of the episode gaz we have something very interesting happening around the town of castle view and sort of uh black mountain i think they call it which is this fire that's spreading this wildfire that is spreading across the county and it is causing this excellent tone for the episode of this orangey reddy sort of haze and i think it's just such a nice change from this you know cold sort of aesthetic that we've had with the show to now have this sort of red glow um, is very interesting and it definitely plays into the idea of the kid being the devil right mm. he's out of he's yeah. out and about and now there's fires and there's sort very of this infernal yeah it feels very in keeping with the themes that they're trying to push towards the kid i absolutely like love this element of the episode it's one of my favorite things about the whole about the whole thing what i i love about it is it gives it gives you the whole episode this kind of um surreal nightmarish feel like you you alluded to earlier in terms yeah. of the pacing but but the visuals also just tap into that idea of it not being quite right and it's it's a bit nightmarish the i mean the funny thing is it, it is actually pretty accurate as well because like any californian listeners will know at the moment um you know you you, you do when there's when there are giant bushfires going on um there is there is a, a sort of smoky haze that, that comes down and can be that kind of bright orange color. So it is it is something that realistically happens, but it doesn't look real, does it? No. And this is quite an interesting thing with the fire. It seems like a ticking time bomb. Um, it's growing. It's going through Castle View, which will maybe come on to a bit in King Corner, which is another town in 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 the King Law, which is just outside Castle Rock and is featured in a lot of the novels. But they're saying about people being evacuated. We're getting continuous radio elements throughout the episode saying that the fire, they can't control this fire. It's descending upon Castle Rock. So there's this now sort of expiration date or something something is going to happen to this town. Mm. So it, it provides this sort of tension and urgency to the show that necessarily wasn't there before. It's almost apocalyptic, isn't it? Yeah. If well, it... there are some references to that kind of thing. It's very interesting you say that about a deadline, like a date, um, mm. Len. What, something that Lacey says when he's um, with the kid, which we'll see later, regarding Noah's Ark and the kind of the destruction. Yeah. And yes. then the salvation. Yeah, so, so that's good, quite a good, good point there as well. Parallel. A lot of biblical stuff going on. I like it. Continuing with the biblical uh, theme, Henry goes to church. Uh, he's going there, uh, what he believes to be relocating his father's ca- uh, casket and coffin, which has just been re-delivered to, uh, to Castle Rock, uh, the Castle Rock congregation. Turns out the casket is leaking, which was bizarre because he's been dead for 27 years. What sort of liquids are still in that casket? And the father even says that shouldn't be happening. There's no way that should be happening. Anyone else getting the pet cemetery vibes here? I know we keep talking about it. Yes. We getting that pet cemetery vibe? Absolutely. A foot. Something is not right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after 27 years, he should just be a skeleton, and he's not. Yeah. And the stuff coming out looked red. I mean, it could be mud, but how has it got into the coffin? I'm very. It's like decompression. I'm very concerned. Because it's been brought up to the surface. Now, finally, finally, the warden gets. A dressing down 
as I'm going to say from the board, because let's face it, she's been a fucking joke. Yeah. Her tenure <laughs> has been like a week or two. And under her watch, she's overseen, you know, what she perceives to be uh, the old warden imprisoning a young man and possibly doing having his way with him for all they know and what they've referenced in the show. She's then decided to try and kill him by putting him in a cell with a Nazi guy. Uh, Then she's overseen so much gross misconduct that one of the guards has... Uh, and our favourite character, Zalewski, R.I.P. We, mm. we miss you. We miss you. We miss you, Zed. We really do. Um, she's seen him literally massacre about 10 or 15 guards. One of the biggest tragedies in the, the prison's history, which is mental considering that prison's history. How is she still in the job? How is she still in the job? How is the board even considering her to be in the job? Just replace her right away. Awful. I mean, to be fair, how much of that really is her fault? All of it. Like, I'm... Literally all of it. No, literally all of it. Think about it. If she had found the kid and released him from the start, then Zed wouldn't have felt the way he did about things. And he, you know, he wouldn't have gone haywire and killed everyone. Well, yeah, her first action was the catalyst, wasn't it? Which was just put him in with Gen Pop and get rid of him. Yeah, exactly. I say Gen Pop like, you know, I've been in prison. I have never been in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight the fact that she is awful. And, uh... I don't know how she's still in a job. But hey, as we've all said, and has, as our boy Seleski said, maybe Castle Rock is bad because the bad people are just here, yo. That's the problem. Well, they know they're safe Look. here. So yeah. she can just be shit in charge of the prison and that will happen to her. She's probably getting paid a fortune as well. Henry's decided to install cameras in the house to sort of keep an eye on his mother, um, which I think, is a, I think is a good idea, to be honest with you, because... Uh, as we see in this episode, her behaviour is becoming slightly erratic. Mm. Um, but do you guys think that this is just another way of the show using creepy security footage yeah. in yes. a sort of horror sequence? The only time we ever see security footage is when something terrible is happening. That never really occurred to me until Gaz said it. And then when Henry was installing the cameras, I just kept thinking back to that comment. I think, well, we're only going to see really fucking creepy stuff. Yeah. So, you know, like, Fair play, mate. Or like paranormal activity, that kind of like, uh, yeah. what is going on in the dark in this sort of night vision? And having it on your phone as well, you're just out. You're out getting a coffee, like, oh my God, what is that happening in my house? That's yeah. really freaky. It's pretty scary stuff. I, I think it's a good idea in terms of practicality, though. But yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I, I really like it. A bit spying, though, because you could just be doing what you want. And then, like, Alan's just watching on his um, yeah. smartphone. All <laughs> yeah. things considered, though, I think it's pretty sensible. No, I know. There's I, no, the, like, the, the method behind it. it, and I guess it's just the door and the living room, not, like, the loo. The kid gets released because, obviously, the warden's had a dressing down, and she's like, we just need to get rid of this guy. I don't want to ever know. We never knew about anything about the kid. Um, Henry goes to uh, collect him, but before the kid is released, he's watching, like, an instructional video set in like the 1980s which is hilarious three challenges will face you the newly paroled as you re-enter society what do i do where will i live and finally who will i be the good news is you can be almost anyone you want to be if you adapt to your new surroundings you will face questions about your time in prison when you meet a potential employer a potential landlord or even a new friend Don't be afraid to reframe your narrative. The person you were when you went in. That's not the person walking out today. You can tell your own story. Be your own hero. 
Choose the life you want to live. I'm Lou Hadley. Who are you? The guy in that video actually has a bit of uh, Stephen King heritage, so we'll we'll come on to him uh, later on in King Corner. Sure will. But Henry goes to meet the kid who is now released, and I was terrified at this point. He goes to shake his hand, and as we've <laughs> learned, and as our theory, and a lot of theories on the internet have, uh, have sort of said, the touch, as soon as you touch the kid, something bad will happen to you. As it should if you're touching kids. I mean, agreed there, Lucy, <laughs> very much agreed, but... We, we know that, you know, Zed fist bumped last week and then he went mad and killed everyone. Uh, we know that, you know, the, the, the neo-Nazi touched the kid and then he got every form of cancer. Um, and we'll come on to another instance of touching in a minute, um, which it sounds so dodgy. I'm Especially sorry. I'm saying the kid. Yeah, but that's his, that's his name. <laughs> I, I just have to. So he goes to shake his hand. Thank God the kid opts not to shake his hand. Um which is great because I like Henry, massive uh, relief, and I want him to. I want him to make it to the end. You've also got to um, bring up the fact that it appeared in the previously on Castle Rock at the start of the episode. The fist bump was in there, so yeah. Yeah. unless this is unless they this is a total red herring and they're leading us down. Um, I don't know what is the saying. They're leading us down a the garden path alleyway, the garden path. Thank you, and. Uh, you know, deliberately, then obviously touching him is an issue. Yeah. And then for this 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 moment to happen as well, where he's about to shake his hand, it it's very clear that there is something. Um, but do we think there. that the kid knows that, and that's why he didn't shake his hand? Yeah, I think yeah, I think the, I think the kid's but then why aware. Why did he touch um, Zalewski trying to save him? Maybe he was confused about Zalewski's intentions because he's one of the guards. The guards have treated mm. him like shit. You know, I do think the kid knows. His potential power, and I um, don't think he wants to hurt. I don't think he does. I don't. I don't think. So. Yeah, I think the kid well, is misunderstood. But I think the line is gets very blurred in this episode, yeah. as we'll come on to. That's basically the open before the titles, guys. That's a big open. But shit, is it really? Yeah. After oh. after the titles, we have our good friend Lacey. Good to have him back. Locke from Lost. Terry O'Quinn back. Being all biblical, he's he's going for it with a kid. He says a couple lines like this. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. And this is the fashion thou shalt make it of. So I build my ark. And when his voice came into my dreams for six nights in a row, he told me exactly where he would stand at the quarry. The reason, the stain, the curse on our town dragging evil behind you everywhere you went. And when I brought you down here, I was on fire with the Holy Spirit, righteous and so strong. And and you looked, you looked so small next to my faith. And now, now you still look small, but I look old. I am old. After all these years, I still don't know what you really are, or if I did the right thing. We get a couple of things here. The amount of time we get, 
references in this piece of dialogue from Lacey to the kid, how he's been down there for years and years and years, it sounds like, because he references the fact that now he's an old man um, at the end of that spiel, which is interesting. Later on in the episode, we get the exact time difference, but we'll come on to that later because mm-hmm. that plays into a lot of Stephen King stuff Creepy. and a lot of theories that we've mentioned since the very first episode. You know, the amount of cigarettes down there, we said it was a long time. Jesus, man, I feel bad for this this kid. I feel bad for him. Can I make a comment here as the only smoker of this podcast? I'm sorry, I know it's a terrible habit, but, yeah. you know, it terrible. is what it is. Yeah. Um, I would never leave my ashtray that long and that full. Like, I will clean it at least twice a week. Is it like a trophy to him, though? I is it know, like him? It is, but also it's a bit rank, man. Yeah, I think he leaves the cigarettes there as a his own, like, sand, sand glass or, you know, yeah. whatever it is to say how long he's been there, like a trophy. So when it's full, then he's done and he's going to... Get another bucket. <laughs> Get another bucket of cigarettes. <laughs> it's it's going to kick the bucket. So the kid's out and Henry's first port of call is to take him to hospital, which is interesting because he's going through similar tests to what Henry was going through in the 2016 time period that we saw at the start of the episode. Um, He is also asked a series of words in no particular order. Face, velvet, church, family, red. What are the meaning of these words, guys? What I'd like to say is there's two words, uh, church and family, which are both said to Henry Mm. and the kid in this episode. And the word that they both end on is family. Yeah. Any meaning behind that at all? I'm going to throw it open to the group. Yeah, maybe it holds the most the most weight, so they're, they're saving it to last. Because they don't really have families in well, the traditional sense. Or what if they are family? They are well, family. We talked about this, didn't we, when um, maybe episode two or three, that potentially they're linked because of the whole like Castle Lake stuff. But yeah. I think that, and I'm pretty sure that when um, Henry repeated these words, he slightly hesitated before family. Mm, he did, yes. Because really, let's face it, as much as he's been adopted into a, you know, with a couple, I don't think he had a great time. No. He doesn't really have a family. But I think the fact... the kids are the same. I think they both ended on family. I think that's a link between them, another link between them. And, and later on in this episode, we also learn that the kid was captured 27 years ago. Come oh, on. Oh, oh. This is, you know, this is a very... At, at the point where Henry was found... At the cliffs, which well, Lacey has just referred dad to. I think something to do with it, or the Rev. I think he's linked to... Oh, the Rev. The Rev, the, certainly. Um, I Rev think do. he planted the seed in Lacey's head to take the kid. I, yeah, I think... Uh, and the awful tree that grew is his fault. I think Rev Deve is, is a bad guy, and I think we're going to find that out as the season goes on. I, I really want to find out some more about him. I want to see some some more flashbacks of him involved, because... Him being a prick to at, his son. Well, at this, at this point, we've got hints, but I want to see a bit more. I want to see why he had such a fractured relationship with his son and what seems to be his wife from, mm. the, from the relationship that she had with Pangborn. So, you know what my biggest question out. is about the old Rev Deve? What the fuck was on that videotape that Henry was burning? Good point. Video of the kid. Well, could very well possibly be. Which kid? They mentioned sending him to uh, Juniper Hill, which is a famous place in King Cannon again, which we're going to come on to in King Corner and its significance. Um, But basically, they can't do that until next week. So Henry has to babysit uh, the kid, um, which leads to hilarious sitcom-like circumstances. No, it doesn't. It leads to horrendous circumstances. Molly, being um, the lovely woman that she is, the lovely empath 
that she is, decides to let the kids stay at her place of work. And then Henry says he doesn't want uh, doesn't want him bunking up with his um, friend. So mm-hmm. pretty smooth, pretty smooth moves from the Deves. He's scared he's going to get put in the friend zone well, by the kid. We did say that the kid is infatuating to look at. I mean, he just, yeah. he, he, he sort of... Now he's in the, the light. light. He I'm draws you face. in, he draws you in. Whereas Henry, yeah, is a good looking, successful, or kind of successful, even though he loses all of his clients. But he's not creepy and tall. And that's kind of what I look for in a guy. So. Yeah, well, maybe Molly's looking for creepy and tall. Yeah. Maybe she is. I don't know. Just putting it out there. Mm. Let's be fair, like Molly, Molly's Molly's lovely and all that, but I think she's she's doing well with Henry. Punching, um, punching. Yeah, she's punching. You don't you don't want to overreach either. No, so stick with Henry. Um, you've done well. Yeah, and to be honest, if she's always hearing Henry's thoughts, even though they're quite dark, they're not as dark as the kids' thoughts, as we'll come on to later. Because Jesus, mm. if she had to hear that all the time, that'd be depressing. Mm. That would be like she'd kill herself. And then she'd touch him and then she'd kill herself anyway. So who knows? Um, I'm hoping, I can't wait for the spin-off series of this. Molly and the kid. Molly and the kid. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode, we really do focus on um, a relationship between Alan Pangborn and Ruth, Henry's mother, which is something that has been, you know, referenced in earlier episodes and the tension between Henry and Pangborn is evident um, with Henry taking a very strong dislike to the fact that Alan is even in his mother's life. But I think in this episode, you're really seeing their relationship for what it is, which is actually a beautiful thing. Definitely a strong sense for me now that Henry is massively in the wrong trying to tear these two people apart. Mm, And we'll come on to that in a minute. But I just wanted to flag straight away that Pangborn and Ruth coming onto this next scene steal a lot of the episode's best scenes. Yeah. Pangborn comes home to the creepy security system um, and we have some interesting lines uh, from Ruth here who is clearly having one of her selective memory episodes. Ruth, you shouldn't have waited up for me. Where in God's name have you been? He's got a favour. You've got to kill him out there. Ruthie... Let me take you back to bed. Everything's going to be fine. You're just having a bad night. No. Something terrible's going to happen. That's extremely interesting. Now, if we're going off this selective memory, sort of, and we've said it in previous episodes, that it's a very interesting concept to have these missing 11 days for, say, Henry, and to have a character like um, Sissy Spacex character have very selective memory moments that might fill in some of the gaps uh, for the viewer here. So, uh, Em, what did you think about that? She clearly says, he's got a fever, you're going to kill him out there. And she's not referring... She's referring to like 1991 times here. She's, for me, when I when I heard her say that and I watched that scene, A, Sissy Spacek, beautiful. I mean, she is a powerhouse of an actress. She still looks so like youthful as well. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but the first thing that it reminded me of was going back to when Molly was watching and she saw Rev Deves. 
Yeah, the Deeves. Take Henry in the car in the middle of the night to go into the woods for whatever reason. Yeah, for whatever reason, eh? And for me, it was filling in that gap of what Ruth was doing, standing at the door going, he's got a fever, you're going to kill him out there. Why mm. the fuck are you taking him into the woods by the lake? Yeah. At three in the morning, randomly for camping for no legit Mental. reason. And the Rev going, shut up, woman, it's God's will. That was exactly what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, that was, that was her filling in some gaps for us. And I feel like Ruth is now going to... Um, keep filling in those gaps with her selective memory and give us the little tidbits here yeah. it is again that we oh, need wow. that we need to, to fill in everything that we're missing yeah. and she's, also she's to fill the key, in isn't she the insight into their relationship well her and Molly yeah. probably and I think Ruth is going to fill in those gaps for Henry as well and I think the you know she says something extremely telling here at the end of this which is either referring to what happened in the past or referring to the future so this is where it becomes interesting with the selective memory or both where she says something terrible is going to happen very ominous the show always feels ominous whether it be in dialogue music tone or just anything that they've got going on, on the screen um, and that is a very ominous line from her probably referring to both the past and indeed the future. I'm looking forward to seeing more of Ruth. I, you know, I'm happy she survives later on in the episode. Let's put it that way. Now, this must be a weird time for the kid. He's finally free after decades. Um, we learn to be, you know, close to three decades uh, of terrible imprisonment down in some sort of horrendous bunker. But this next scene, I th- oh. think, might be the creepiest thing I've ever seen on the show for sure he goes wandering around in the middle of the night celebrating a kid's he sees he sees a house which is playing this really creepy kid's song vinyl um animal crackers uh, that's not a birthday song i mean what sort of song is it listeners let us know if that's a traditional birthday song. yeah i mean if that is something why are you doing that's scary um he wanders into their house And basically, it's quite pleasant and it turns extremely sour and bitter. And it's sort of provoking that thought that wherever the kid goes and the fact that now he's out of his his prison, as it were, that evil just infects people, Um, whether it radiates from him or he's near people and the worst comes out in people, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I love that you describe it as turning bitter. It turns horrific. Like, it's absolutely horrific. And um, you're right to say it's an exceptionally creepy scene. First of all, the, the Animal Crackers song that's that's playing, unless unless you're in the 1950s watching an advert for Animal Crackers, yeah, that song, out of context, sounds creepy. Yeah, I love Animal um, Crackers, by the way. They're, they're delicious. And in also, modern times, why are you playing Animal Crackers mm-hmm. on a vinyl? So can I, can I jump in? Can I jump in here? Um, Go on. Uh, this is something we would say for King Corner usually, but I don't think this is happening in the current timeline. Oh, that's interesting because I haven't. Mm. That would make sense. So, so okay. here's my thought: the child's name, and this is something that I'm going to pull away from King Corner. <laughs> I'm going to put. I'm going to pull it away from King Corner because I think it's so important in the context of this scene that we talk about it now. The kid's name is Gordy, mm. right? Mm. The main character in the body is Gordy, set around the same sort of time when, yeah, a vinyl would be playing. Um, and he had abusive parents. So there's there's a couple of things that I wanted to, to mention. Um, first of all, 
when when they start when they start singing happy birthday i was waiting to hear what the name was going to be i was anticipating it and there's sort of this little pause and then they go gordy and yeah. you you know straight away that there's some sort of significance there yeah. because a who who calls their kid gordy and you know that that kid is never going to do gordy well. If anyone is listening, called Gordy, we're it's very short sorry. For Gordon, okay, it's a perfectly crummy little yeah. name. Donnie. Gordon's lovely, I'm sure, but um, you know, he's not going to be a sportsman, is he? <laughs> Let's be fair. Um, so there, there's that. There's the um, there's this this really really creepy radio voice that that happens throughout the episode. Oh yeah. And um, you know, I, as I mentioned to you off air. Len, and it's very reminiscent of the radio in the uh, in PT, the playable trailer for yeah, Silent Hills, very scary. the game that was never made, but is one of the most terrifying things anybody has ever ever experienced. Yeah, it's I horrible. Genuinely believe that. And there's this radio voice in there, and I think it might be the same voice in this in this uh, episode. So that was creeping me out as well. But I was listening out because immediately after this scene we go back to the radio voice and I thought, are they going to mention um, you know, family yeah. being a murder-suicide or anything? Don't. And it, it didn't, it wasn't mentioned. Nope. Um, so that kind of taps into what you're saying as well. And I hadn't thought about it being the past, um, but also, um, sorry, this is a long point, but I think this is an important bit. Later on, and I'm sure we'll come to this, but later on, we hear what the kid's thinking. And yeah. we hear... Some we hear a reference to the body. Yeah, hear a reference to Sam. Straight, we do. I'm very convinced that this is either him walking around in present day and visualizing something that he's seen mm. in the past. And we learn later on, and you know, spoiler warning: he doesn't aged. This kid's been around for decades, the same. So we know that he's seen all of these tragedies. We even hear them in his head via Molly. So. I definitely think that's a callback to the body. Um, I think that's a young Gordy. I think that's his young abusive parents. I think there was, you know, I'm not saying that either of them died because in the book they're not dead, but there could have been a stabbing or there could have been some serious abuse that's gone on and then they still continue to to, to be parents. I just think that's what they've gone for there. Could the baby be the kid? Well, that's an interesting point. That uh, is an interesting point. Because we... We definitely hear the baby, the baby continuing to cry afterwards. So I think the suggestion is the baby isn't killed. Gareth, put yeah. a pin on All that right. and we'll re- revisit it in um, a couple of episodes of time potentially. But good, good point. The fire continues to burn. It rages on. How did it all start? No one knows. They say on the radio, it's a sign of bad things to come. Well, yes. definitely. It's fire. So, it's yeah. fire. It's encircling a population. <laughs> people have been evacuated and, you know, people are dying because of it. So, yeah. Um, Alan sees a collection of carved dolls and he has a flashback to him giving them to Ruth. The Lewis Chessman. Cool. They are. Fascinating. Yeah, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, you know, if you're going to get a chess set, that's a pretty cool chess set to get. Um, like Ruth says, they're a chess set found in the 12th century in Scotland. Yeah. Carved by Vikings. There's something creepy about these statues, right, guys? This is creepy town. There definitely is, but can I throw something out here? So in the first or second episode, yeah. when Henry arrives at the house, I can't yeah. remember which one it is. Oh, yeah, he's holding a little statue, isn't no, he? he opens the fridge, and in the fridge yes. is one of the Lewis chessmen. Now, John and I, and I apologise for this, John, had an argument 
a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. About whether uh, that was the same tiny little figurine that Henry was holding when he was rescued. It was not. It was one of the chessmen, was it? Later, the figurine that is in the fridge is a Lewis chessman. Which is interesting because let's imagine that these statues actually hold some sort of um, power or weight because being in the fridge would be obviously freezing outside in the cold, right? So Mm -hmm. that's a situational thing. And later on in the episode, we see one of these statues or a statue on a bridge about to jump off a bridge in Molly's diorama. It's not the chest, though, is it? It's not a chess piece. It's some of a creepy, like, yeah. white figure. So yeah. that tiny, creepy white figure is the one that Henry has in his hand Yes, he's rescued by Pangborn. It's not the chessman. No, I just mean these little statuettes of sorts mm. obviously hold a lot of relevance. Alan, and he's mentioned this before uh, in a previous episode to The Warden, is getting a bridge named after him. I thought he was joking at the time, but turns out he's serious. It's nice that he's getting a bit of recognition. I like Alan. He's now my favourite character of the show. And here we get some really sweet, tender moments between uh, Ruth and Alan. And the more I think about it, he genuinely does love Ruth. I mean, what do you think, guys? I mean, we were sceptical about his intentions when we first saw him. But there's a this scene between them in the bedroom that Henry, you know, walks in on and ruins is is beautiful. He says he loves her. They have a tender like touch of heads and you know they're very sweet to each other. Gaz, are you buying this? You buying this now? I am. Again, there's there is always the chance that we're being fooled, but um it seems very genuine, doesn't it? And I think but I think what's really important is that throughout this episode Henry's buying into it as well. Um and he seems to be changing his tone in in terms of um it, changing his tune in terms of how he uh, feels about um, about Pangborn and, and his mum. And I think he understands that it is genuine compassion for each other, which is, is an important thing. And I think he sees how much his mum kind of needs needs Pangborn. I completely agree. I think, Henry, you see some looks and, you know, hear, hear some interactions with him and Alan in this episode and he definitely seems to be coming around to the idea of the fact that you know Alan actually has done a lot for my mother when I haven't been there mm. you know like Lucy said last week Henry's been a bit of a dick he's just turned mm. up he's completely abandoned her for you know, decades potentially not really been back there much and now has a go at Alan who has been caring for his mother who suffers from severe dementia I really want Henry and Alan to be friends I, th- I just think they'd be yeah. good, you know, new dad. I just, new dad. I like that. But then Alan knows or thinks he knows that Henry killed Diva, so Reverend Diva, so maybe he's a bit like, still doesn't like him. So, I've, uh, you know, everyone here knows that I love Alan. I love Scott Glenn and I love what he's doing uh, with the character of Alan Pangborn. But um, I'm feeling a bit sorry for him now. You know, he's he's going up to give this speech for his new bridge. I thought the crowd was a bit was a bit weak for him, to be honest. The amount of stuff that he's done for this town, if they know what he's been through, how he saved them countless times from, like, Leland Gaunt or whatever he is in Needful Things or, you know, the Dead Zone guys, you know, all that sort of stuff. I just felt a bit sorry for him. And also, fucking Cujo turned up. Well, yes, Cujo did turn up. Isn't Cujo a St. Bernard? Yeah, but I think, I think they're using dogs. Just like dogs are Dogs, violent, your dogs... You know, animals, we've said with Stephen King um, in his, all of his novels, adaptations and stuff like that, are a prevalent part of horror. Like He sees a lot of horror in, in a lot of animals and they have a lot of significance. Um, Cujo, obviously, is extremely 
relevant to this town. And obviously see Ruth seeing the dog here barking triggered one of her selective memories mm. that we, we've talked about, obviously of Cujo. And she gets so scared that she jumps off a bridge. Now, that was a shocking, shocking moment. Fuck me, that was brutal. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, isn't it? I was worried. I thought it was dead. I thought dead straight away. Thank God we heard a splash quite soon. I thought Henry was going to get hit by a car while he ran to her. I thought that would be the kind of final destination style thing. Jesus. I mean, dead. If Henry dies in episode five, then. Not dies, but hospitalised. Well, yeah, but useless for the rest of the season. Um, so that was a shock. And that's what I mean with the show. It never rests on its laurels. It does things that really you don't expect. If we had lost Ruth then, Henry has arguably had one of the worst vacations or trips home of all time. What is going on with this guy? Nothing's going right for him at the moment. So chaos. And if I was living in this town right now, I would be extremely concerned. You've just had a massacre at a prison. Um there's a wildfire going on that's burning people alive. Um, people are jumping off bridges. What is going on? A guy decapitates himself with a car. Mental. Imagine this happening in like, I don't know. Even if, even if it happened in like Manchester or Birmingham, I'd be like, that is mental. What is going on? <laughs> even if it happened in Manchester. I mean, bad stuff happens in, in the UK. Yeah, bad oh. stuff does happen. Ruth survives, thank God. But we're going to move on to... Definitely one of our more interesting characters that we haven't really explored a lot of yet. A lot of her backstory, a lot of what her motivations are. And that is Jackie Torrance. And we get some very delicious information in this episode. Well, can I just say... Yeah. Called it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, Gareth. You did call it, but we'll come on to it later. But Jackie goes uh, to Molly's uh, and she sees the kid in all of his naked splendour. And I know, Lucy, you've said that's aroused you this episode. Not his nakedness, just his like. But you were weird, aroused. Nice face. Yes, correct. You were aroused. Sexually attracted to the kid. There, it, I said it. Well, and his dark, Don't. evil ways. He's not evil. I'm Team Kid. Hashtag. Okay, fine. Team Kid. That's 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 been recorded now. <laughs> yeah. Molly goes to see how the kid's doing. Right. He's gone. As she leaves, we see that weird statue on the bridge that I was mentioning before. Um. So just a little note there. Little statues dictating people's motivations and whereabouts. This is where we get some excellent, excellent lines from Jackie Torrance. I'm going to play them right now. I mean, they say, write what you know, but this town is so blah. I mean, people bitch about the bad old days when there were like serial killers and psychopathic dogs, but I would give my left tit to go back there. The 80s, man. I had this uncle, though. He was redder, too. And then one winter, he just flipped his lid and tried to axe murder his wife and kid at some fancy ski resort. And my folks will never talk to me about it. So I took his name just to piss them off. My real name's Diane. The thing that's extremely interesting about this clip is, first of all, we are getting confirmation of our theory that we've had earlier on in earlier episodes that Jackie is essentially like remin- wants to live in a time where the town is being horrendous. 
Uh, she dreams about these murders, dreams about these suicides. She wants more information on characters like Molly, like Henry. She doesn't know much about the kid at this stage. She'd have been busy mates with Leland Gaunt. She'd have been busy mates with Leland Gaunt. She'd have been working in the Needful Things store. Um, she would have been... Damn. She would have been like... It would have been like Rick and Morty all over again. Yeah, Rick and Morty's <laughs> adventures. What, yeah, 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 100%. What is she talking about here? Like, is she living in some sort of bubble? Maybe she yeah. is living in a bubble. And that, I mean, maybe that's the point. But there's a lot of fucked up stuff going yes. on. Yes, what is she talking about? Right now, like I've just listed, all those terrible things going on, you've just had about a, a 10 guard massacre at Shawshank. And not only that, you had the guy decapitating himself. You know, it's just nostalgia, though, isn't it? It's like everything was better back in the past. Yeah, I guess that's but the way. She was worse and therefore better back in the past, especially with all the murders. Yeah, well, but she doesn't even reference. She doesn't even reference it. She doesn't say like she says. She says nothing happens here. It's so it's so boring. I wish I could go back to when stuff did happen. Yeah, like, literally yesterday or a couple of couple of days ago, some guy went mental, killed all of his co-workers, and then got shot by a shotgun himself yeah right? she doesn't mention it no she doesn't mention that it's like, bizarre it is almost like she doesn't know yeah or she's oblivious to it or something i don't know but she seems to be on the pulse with castle rock stuff but um the best piece of information we get is that she is actually related to jack torrance yeah. which I'll is take all seven of my points yeah for that one please yeah it's unbelievable, Gareth. Well, what I also said is it's weird that somebody's named her after Jack Torrance. Yes, you did. Um, and so we did get we did get an answer to that. Um, yeah, she's which actually is good, I think. what's her name? Diana Torrance, and she's Diane she's Torrance. Named herself, yeah, Diane Torrance. She's named herself after her good old uncle Jack. It's yeah, great. Um, I love the way that she's so like flippant about it as well. Like, oh, you know, one of my uncles just um, tried to kill his wife and kid at some sort of ski resort. Um, but my parents <laughs> won't ever talk to me about him. So, you know. Do you I, not find her fairly annoying? I really like her. No. Jane Levy, I think, is doing an outstanding job. Mm, I think job. she's too like, oh, I'm so quirky. And like, oh, but I, think I like things that are outside the mainstream. I find her a bit It's kind of like, she's one of those sort of Dave Lynch characters, though. You know what I mean? She's very Absolutely. sort of Twin Peaksy. I'm all in with that sort of vibe. And her interactions with the kid are very interesting because here we have the kid. She's listing all of these atrocities. The kid knows all of these atrocities because he's seen all of these atrocities. And even the radio turns and says five people uh, just got killed in a helicopter crash trying to put out the fire. Just this growing sense of dread that is approaching you, the town. Well, something that I thought about in this scene, um, and also when he was with Henry and Molly, is that when we see him with Gordy and everything kicks off, it seems like he's caused that, yet he can be with Henry and he's with Molly and he's with Jackie and they don't cause any harm to themselves or anyone Not else. Not yet, no, yeah. But I don't under, I'm don't. i wondering how that works. Yeah. Well, I guess it's either well, he either chooses to do it... Or he's bringing something out of them. Yeah, or, or it is... Uh, enhancing what is already within so they're the all beings. pretty like timid people whereas However, maybe the dad Molly, Molly did do a murder I'm with the, the fact that they need when we will find out and establish the rules of the kids powers at the moment we're sort of fumbling around in the dark and we know mm. that touch is definitely definitely a way that 
you know, he can't control his power. So even if you do touch him and he might even like you, I think there's a, there's a possibility you're going to die. Um, Lacey touched his cheek uh, earlier in the episode as well, took his glove off and touched him on the cheek. That was weird. That was, that was weird, right? So we know that touch is definitely... Because th- Lacey died very soon after that. Mm. Be it he went mental and had a plan and decapitate himself with a car... But was that his own plan or was it exactly by touching the kids? Exactly. Was it no. madness brought on? And here's an interesting theory, guys. Um, if Jackie touches the kid, is she going to get an axe and go murdering people like Jack Torrance? I think that'd be fucking it's actually awesome. actually like a, a meat mallet, I think, in the book. Cleaver. Cleaver, that's it. Uh, yeah. Gaz, you think no? Nah, I reckon it's too obvious. But also, you know, we're, we're speculating over how the kid can have this influence over the family and not over these other people. But let's not forget this theory that we have that this is a vision of the past. So he's not influencing them. He's, yeah. he's gone to the house that and would he's, make more he's sense. seeing something that's occurred. Yeah, so again, it's probably another bit of evidence in support of that, in support of that theory. Ruth's all right. She's in the, uh, she's in the old hospital. Um, but Alan has a little chat with Henry and he confesses that he he went to Ruth in 1991 after the death of what we believe to be Reverend Diva at the time. And, and he proposed to her. He, he wanted to give her a ring and he wanted to marry her then. So we know that they had a relationship whilst she was with Reverend Diva. That is now pretty much confirmed. Yeah. Um, which is a nice little reference that, you know, once again, getting this long term relationship between Alan and Mrs. Diva. Um, is is really important to understand their relationship now. Um, she wakes up and she says, "It was that. It was the damn dog. Nothing stays dead in this town." So we know that now that's definitely a memory of Cujo for her. She was using her selective memory, uh, not using it, but it just happened to be that she saw the dog, remembered Cujo, and ran for her life. Basically, tragic. Fair, also because. I mean, quite frankly, if you'd been there when Cujo was around, some yeah. crazy dog was barking at you, I might throw myself off the bridge. Yeah. Rabid Cujo. Pretty frightening. Yeah. The son of Cujo, that dog is. That's Sounds the that's the the next sequel of Cujo. After the thumbening. After the thumbening. So you've got Cujo, the thumbening, which we had last week, and now you have Cujo three, uh, which has no title. It's son of Cujo, isn't it? Son of Cujo, yes. Is it son of son of Cujo? <laughs> yes. Grandson grand, of Cujo. Grandson of Cujo. <laughs> The kid looks like he's going to jump off the roof. Molly discovers uh, him and, uh, you know, Jackie T, you know, uh, at this weird building. He looks like he's going to kill himself. Uh, Molly goes to uh, stop him and her empath abilities hear some extremely interesting things. was just a sick old man whatever he said to you it wasn't true you're just a kid so very interesting here that 
and this is something I didn't think we'd actually get and I completely just forgot about Molly's powers for this episode but the moment she started walking close to um the kid and we're getting all of these um visions in his head or these sound bites in his head was extremely delicious for any sort of Stephen King references but also I put the subtitles on on this section because I wanted to um see exactly what was being said and to see if the subtitles gave away any little spoilers. That's a good idea. Um, I was just kind of li- trying to listen in and I, I didn't quite catch I didn't quite catch everything that was being said so it'd be good to have a bit of insight into what was actually Yeah. Mm. So through. we hear the dog noises so I mean we're, we're going to do this now just because we've played the clip so it's important just to just to hear. So we hear the dog noises there that's Cujo. There's definitely a line from the body or stand by me the adaptation where he said you guys yeah. you know there's a line in there from that. It's, do you want to see a body? Yeah, yeah. do you want to see a body? Do you want to see a dead body? And then there's yeah. this Levski stuff, you know, fist bump. He's talking about the fist bump. So obviously he's replaying that moment mm. again, that touch moment, which we've said definitely signifies potentially the spreading of madness or the spreading of some sort of illness that will eventually be the downfall of that person. Um, I, there was a car crash stuff going on. I missed this and this is fascinating. Uh, yeah, and I was thinking, I mean, there's no way of knowing, but we were talking about it last week, Luce, and the car crash yeah. happening in the dark half with Pangborn's because wife. Because Pangborn brings it up literally a couple of minutes later yeah, about he... losing his wife. Well, he does, yes. doesn't he? And actually, here's her relationship with... Um, with Annie and, and you know obviously losing Annie and Todd is, is really sad but it comes up I've kind of read the Castle Rock novels backwards so I knew about this quite early on yeah and then I've, I'm, I'm currently reading actually The Dark Half which is yeah. fantastic it's really good isn't it really good but I also kind of know what's going to happen yeah because I you know came yeah. about Pangborn and his wife but I didn't notice this in that yeah. Parts, well, I, heard, I, I heard, yeah, I heard the car crash, and 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 that's obviously relevant when you watch the end of the episode, like Lucy just said, mm-hmm. and, and you hear Pangborn talking about his wife. So that's just interesting to note. So I love that. This is where Molly's abilities are. We said earlier, round about episode three, when we had a Molly-centric episode, that her abilities were a bit cheesy, and John even likened them to Charmed, which is unfortunately tarred. Uh, that sort of special effect for me and I know you Gareth Um, Mm. however this use of it is excellent and this is where it becomes an extremely effective tool and a narrative tool that really helps us tie in a bit of history to what the kid is and what his motivations are potentially. I wonder if that's also because after Local Colour and the kind of on-screen breakdown episode four um there was nothing of Molly and her empath no. abilities. No. So we've had a break from it. They've and when it toned it down back, a bit. Yeah, absolutely nailed it in this episode. Yeah, I think it's a much better use use of her powers. Um, yeah. So this is much darker, much darker than anything that appears on Charmed. I think. Yeah, yeah, Charmed would. Have, yeah, this is this is the darkest Charmed has ever got. So we get a little interesting scene here um, of Henry speaking to we believe to be his ex-partner or ex-wife. And I think he's mental. I think he's lost the plot, Henry, because he's asked her to put his son on a bus yeah. to Castle Rock. I thought I'd misheard it. I was like, what, what, what's going on here? Like, what is he, he trying to send his son up here? It's during the, like, forest fires and 
the breakdown of his own brain and everything else. It was yeah, mental. Just put him on a greyhound. Yeah, you know, I'm worried that he's not going to see his grandma ever again. It's like, well, you know, your town's enveloped by a fire. Twenty people have just been shot by a random and guard. And why do you only care now? Such and a, oh, evil. Never see him. Enveloped by evil. It's Castle freaking Rock. I mean, uh, you can bunk just, up with the kid. Well, you know, I think we all just need to worry for this kid's safety because I think he's a goner. I think I, I, I'm telling you now. Henry's son is coming to town. He ain't making it through this season. Maybe he's going to go missing like Henry did. Ooh. For 11 days. Jesus. And then he doesn't say anything. And then Henry gets angry that he's got amnesia, you know. And he gets pushed off a cliff. <laughs> Unnecessary complications. Just to go back just a moment, though, with the kid standing on top of the building. Um, I think it's also pretty important to to recognise the fact that he says, like, I should have stayed in that box. Um, or I should still be in that box. So he... Like we've said it before, he obviously doesn't want to be this way. He doesn't want to have this influ- influence. He um, he feels bad about it. He's, he's not, been told he's, sort of running he's around evil, I guess. Like, we don't know that he for sure is evil. And especially what he says to Alan at the end. Is he evil? He's been told that he is. He's now absorbed that to be the truth. And Molly's like, whatever he told you is not true. And whether he is or he isn't evil, and Gaz, you make a massively good point here. Um, when Molly goes to look for him upstairs, what she finds is he's created his own cage. It's yeah. almost like Stockholm Syndrome. That's sad. And it's really sad. It especially is sad. after seeing his lovely peachy bottom. Yeah, and we've said in previous episodes that it's nurture, you know, He's been, as we learn, in that box for 27 years. Um, before that, he might have been caged up somewhere else, for all we know, by by the other Rev, like you, you mentioned, Lucy. Mm. So, um, you know, if you're if you're a young man, which we know he's technically not, because we know he's something supernatural. But if you've been in a box that that long, being told you are the devil, you're going to start to believe that you are the incarnation of evil. Um, and everything that's happening is your fault. Now, the kid stays at Henry's now, um, which plays nicely into the security footage that we referenced earlier in the episode. Mm. Pangers, uh, <laughs> defacing his own bridge because he sees it as a crock of shit. He's just like, I don't want, a, I don't want a bridge named after me. Um, he takes down his placard, but he gets a little buzz on his phone. Quite cool tech, actually. Gets a little buzz on his phone. Oh, someone's tripped your camera oh. footage. Is it my love? No. No. It's a creepy kid. It's a a creepy kid that I saw in a trunk 27 years ago. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is where I take massive exception to Alan Pangborn. It's like, yeah, I'll never forget your face. I remember you being in that trunk when a man was driving you off to put you underground. And you let him ha- you let him do it. I'm sorry. I'm I'm out of it with Pangborn now. Well, I'm pretty sure Lacey went, he's the devil. Let's, yeah. Uh, and he's like, and I trusted him. It's like, you're literally an insane person right let's, now. Uh, let's play the clip. Don't look at me like that, fucker. You know me. You remember. That's right. Lacey. I pulled him over in the middle of the night. Wear a badge long enough in this fucking county. Guy with the devil in his Lincoln doesn't sound half bug shit crazy. He asked me to trust him. God help me, I did. I used to dream about you. I can't remember my own dead wife's face but I never forgot yours 
Not for 27 fucking years. Don't think I didn't wonder. Did I let a monster drive off with a boy in his trunk? are you? I tried my best. I tried to keep the people of this town safe. Where's it land you? You wait 30 years for the woman you love, and finally you get her, and she slips through your fingers. And here you are, fucking Rip Van Winkle. Where's the justice in that? I asked you a fucking question. I can help her. So the ending of this episode is extremely powerful. This confrontation between Pangborn, who is essentially the spiritual guardian of Castle Rock. He's he, insane. I'm sorry, then. We're, we're, we're opposite on this one. Well... Why did he let him drive off of this boy? I think that you've got to look at Pangborn's character as his vision of doing the right thing for this town. He has seen... He's lived through the dark half, needful things. He's lived through a lot of these Stephen King novels, and he was the protector of this town. He's seen so much stuff that he believes Dale Lacey in that moment. And I still think he regrets it. He even says, like, I, I'll never forget your face because I, because of the regret that he feels about doing that one lapse in concentration. But he said to the warden, don't ever let that fucking kid out well, of that yes. hole. But clearly there's a reason for that. And, I, and, you know, Lucy, you've also read a lot of Stephen King. And Alan Pangborn is a character that is flawed. Yes. He's human, yeah. but he is ultimately in every novel or novella or short story, he is the force for good. He is the force he for good. Goody, but this is very, very bad behaviour. However, think. however, we didn't see the full story or the full yes. conversation. I cannot believe that Stephen King would allow Pangborn to be portrayed as evil. No. If he truly was, he wouldn't allow he, him to be characterised that way. He's a force for good in the Steve, like, you know, Stephen King yeah. multiverse, there is essentially the big bad forces at play and there are people who have the, you know, the good forces behind them. And Pangborn, you know, is a, he's not a supernatural character, but the force for good, and it's arguable about that, by the way, but the force for good that he generates in so many of these stories would leave you to lead you to believe that he is on the light side of things um mm. so i agree with you emma i don't think and stephen king is executive producing this show i don't think and that's he, my point yeah he's not going to let pangborn descend into but do you not think watching that and thinking right you've stopped him and he's got a boy in the in the trunk and he's going to go and put him in a hole yeah as a sheriff do you not think that letting him go is fucking insane. And I get that and I totally agree. I think we're missing the conversation. Yeah, we need a bit more context. Pangborn mm. and Lacey, we don't have the context for it. And if you're a Stephen King fan, 
like we are, you either go, what the fuck are you doing with this show and how are you making Pangborn evil? Or you go... I don't think he's evil. I just think... It's a mistake. What the... Like, what People the make mistakes. You're mental for doing that. People make mistakes. You've got to think. You've got to think, like, what has Pangborn been through? Like, what's he seen um, in, in Castle Rock? Like, he knows that it's not a normal place. Um, like, he, he's seen his fair share of fucked up shit and a guy going off with a kid in a trunk is maybe kind of on the light side for him, to be honest. Yeah. Right, this, is a, well, this is a relaxing moment. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, exactly. it, it holds a lot of significance for him, but he has got to be thinking there is there is a reason for it. There's got to be some justification there, and he, I think he truly believes um, what he's told. Well, he's got the he's, devil in the trunk. He's, got, he's overtaken by madness then. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it from, from this perspective, if the kid has not changed in 27 years, Correct. physically or visually... Correct. Yeah, maybe he was right, but at the time, then, then what actually, are you doing? But also, he wasn't a kid. No, I mean he, like a teen, I suppose you would say. He's, he's, a young, not, he's, he's late he's 20s, early 20s, I reckon. He early, is, but, mid-20s. Yeah. And if you think about Pam, Pangborn's perspective, if Lacey goes, this guy's fucking evil, and you look in the boot and it's a... An adult male. It's yeah. not the same as we think of him as the kid. You think yeah. of him as like five or six I years old. We thought that he would be He's very not. young when he was first yeah. taken. Um, and until you realise that, still think it's corruption as look, well. Yeah, well, it's important. Yeah. It's, it is yeah, definitely there's a moral line that has been crossed here, and it does you know mo- the morals come into it. But at the end of the day, Pangborn's seen a lot of shit, and that's what we said. Mm. The interesting piece of information we get out of this is it was 27 years ago, so 1991, that the kid was taken. He was located at the bluff, the same place that Henry was discovered. Mm-hmm. So they've crossed paths there. Also important to note that he hasn't aged one day. He asks him, are you the devil? He categorically says, no, he is not the devil. Um, and then he also, I mean, the pa- most powerful piece of that clip and that ending for me is Pangborn reinforcing his love for Roof during this episode and, and, and telling the audience this. <laughs> That he, you know, finally gets the woman of his dreams after 30 years and she's slipping through his fingers because she can't remember anything. Um, Very powerful. Um, I'm going to let it go because it is powerful, but it's a weird moment to do it, isn't it? No, I think think it's a beautiful moment because it's reflecting upon her ageing and the fact that he hasn't aged. Yeah. That's what he's relating it to. He's relating the fact, how is it fair that you haven't aged, but my love of my life has aged and now is decaying to the point of where she doesn't recognize me. And That's fair. then he says something, the kid says, I can help her. Now mm. I was getting green mile vibes because absolutely that's definitely he's also, if you notice he's very chatty with pangborn yeah so he's chatting with him yeah he, he doesn't he... hasn't really spoken much at all yeah so i was getting that sort of like what well, he can heal people too sort of vibe um which is ex- extremely it, interesting it, again i was getting i was getting stranger stranger things vibes here with mm. 11 and you know a, a sort of somebody that you're kind of terrified of because of the power that they have yeah um but that they could also be this force for good. Um, yeah, definitely. A theory that we had uh, back in episode one, um, which I think a lot of people had, to be fair, um, mainly because of the 27-year time difference between 1991 and 2018, is the link between um, it and the story at play here. So, you know, we're not saying that the kid is Pennywise because it makes no sense. Um, they have 
no similar characteristics at the moment other than the fact that fear seems to be in play here or the use of fear to manipulate people which is essentially its power um i don't think that theory can be dismissed at all because everything has been so neatly tied up with a bow with all these easter eggs at the moment um what if uh the kid isn't necessarily pennywise himself but one of the kids that was taken by pennywise and then made to float what about that as an option hmm 27 years is it can't be a coincidence and maybe it's not just it the the, like the entity of it that comes every 27 years maybe there's a portal for other things and it is like a 27 year cycle not necessarily just pennywise well it yeah i mean stay tuned on that one um he could be the demonic clown but i don't think he is but that's the popular theory um you know the 27 year thing isn't going away anytime soon and it will you know, we've even seen like pieces of writing from it in the title sequence. Um, there's been balloons. There's been missing posters. There have been these little nods to Pennywise. I would love to see him in this show. I would love to see something about it in this show. So please let that happen. Um, and that's it for the for the regular episode. This uh, this guy. That's it for the scene by scene recap. That is it. Um, but now we're moving on to the ever growing, ever loved, and very fun section. That is. King Corner. I'm innocent, Red. Just like everybody else here. The house is burning. Hi, Georgie. I'm afraid I have a tendency to turn up the heat. Red rum! Red rum! Creepy Carrie! Creepy Carrie! You float! Here we go again. I'm back, guys. It's time for King Corner. Uh, this week has come up with a lot of little uh, Easter eggs for us. Some of them very, very small, which I'm going to speed through. Some of them a little bit more detailed. Um, I'd like to start off with uh, what I'm terming magic. So one of the great things that we we get here is Alan Pangborn uh, when he's having his bridge named after him. Weird uncomfortable yeah um he talks about magic and one of the biggest things about alan uh in the novels that are based around castle rock that include him by stephen king is that he does a lot of uh amateur magic well amateur magic but also amazing shadow figures he does like coin tricks and actually in needful things one of the biggest things that he does is the uh the flowers out of his wrist Mm. so if you if you are a reader of stephen king novels or short stories that's a big big thing that just harks back to the fact that he is that man who loves magic but is really quite kind of introverted yeah i love that uh jackie torrance a.k.a. Diane Torrance, which sounds awful, and the kid sitting in the car listening to radio station uh, 100.3, not the first time we've seen it. That is WKIT Radio, which in real life is owned and run by Stephen King. It's called WKIT, is it? Yeah. It, at the end of it, interesting. Wicket. Wicket! Yeah. Um, little, little tidbit there. No, I like that. Um, which I quite liked when I, I didn't I didn't know that, I have to admit, I got that from the Tinternet. Uh, but I thought it was quite an interesting little piece of uh, real life no, information. I really like that. I like trivia. That. It was good, a bit of trivia. And that's the radio that comes on in the car when they talk <coughs> about when they talk about the people being burnt alive yeah. in yeah, the helicopter. The news flash. Yeah. But Jackie clearly doesn't think that is exciting enough 
to warrant her living in this time no. of Castle Rock. No, yeah, exactly. I'm still, I'm still pushing my theory that she literally doesn't doesn't take it in. Doesn't have. I'm ears. telling you, that's going to be a thing. <laughs> She's got no ears. Well, um, thank you, Gareth. Because speaking of ears, in this episode, we get references to uh, tinnitus or tinnitus, depending on where you come from. Yeah. Um. So Henry gets his ears checked. There's the ringing. The either the. Uh, a hearing aid, a grommet, or a bit of tissue. Who the fuck knows? Something's in his ear. Something's in his ear. Yeah. Um. Did you know that Stephen King was uh, haunted by ear infections as a child? Was he? He was. He had Painful. serious issues with infections and tinnitus. So he's written a lot of uh, ear, ear, ear misery into his books. Ear-related trauma. Yeah, ear-related trauma. Ear is he? I remember that. Um that story that he did, the short story and the attack of the giant ear. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, ear monster. scary, that one. Another one that I think will probably be uh, quite obvious to Lucy and I, maybe Len, I don't know, and maybe Gaz, I might be just... Gaz know, knows put, nothing. Put I you know down here, medium man. medium amounts. So, um, there is a reference at some point to Ruth's arthritis. Mm-hmm. Lucy, can you tell me who else has arthritis in the King canon? No, I can't think of it. <laughs> uh, so in the novel of Needful Things, which is post oh, yeah. Pangborn's dead wife, Annie, um, he has a relationship with Polly Chambers. Yeah, that sounds mm, about right. Who has serious, serious arthritis in her hands to the point where she owns a sewing shop, she cannot yeah. function. So this is like a, a sort of copy of that character. It's that a hark back to that. Um, yeah, because actually when I first watched the, the first couple of episodes where we realised that Ruth Diva was with... Uh, Pangers. Pangers. I don't know if I can call them that. I know I said lit earlier, but... <laughs> oh, it's a bit odd. I was sitting there going, but what about Polly? Because yeah. I just read Needful Things and it was really hard for me to connect with it. But actually now that we're getting those uh, references back to the the characters within the novels. I actually thought it was a really nice merging way to touch of, on it. Merging of a character, yeah, potentially. definitely. Creating a new one. Next up, dead dead animals. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this. Cujo, Pet cemetery, the dog, the barking, the yeah. dead shit. I don't think we need to go like much a further. a bit of a malevolent dog in Gerald's game. Oh, there really there there is. There is, Lucy. Oh, Can yeah. you tell us more about that? So, at the beginning of Gerald's game... Um, Gerald and the lady whose Gerald. name I can't even remember, unfortunately. Can yeah. anyone remember her name? No, but it's Gerald's Geraldine. game. Geraldine. So. Gerald's game. Geraldine. They arrive <laughs> at this sort of remote, nice country retreat um, and there's a hungry dog and she feeds it. Steak. But it's like Kobe beef. Yeah, it's So like... Gerald's a prick and he's like, oh, that's £120 a kilogram well, or whatever. I, I would be like that as well. I think that's yeah. fair. Yeah, whatever. That's Gerald's fair. a prick. Um, but she feeds the dog. But then when Gerald is again being a prick and has a heart attack... Uh, the dog comes in and starts eating him and she's just like tied up and having yeah. to witness it. And it also horrendous. licks her toe. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... We hope it's the dog. Gerald's Game, spoilers, spoilers for Gerald's Game, but um, it is a... I mean, the adaptation is on Netflix. It's available now. It's very um, good. I, we've mentioned it in other podcasts. It has it? some harrowing, harrowing scenes in it. Yeah. Um, if you are of the faint of heart, do not watch it. Well, watch it. Just don't watch the very awful, horrific bit. Yeah, but I don't see the point in watching something if you're not going to watch it. Well, I didn't watch that bit. Well, you definitely watch it, but just go see what you think. It's a decent adaptation. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to say that, the, the, yeah, the scene that you're referencing, Len, is that's that's probably the hardest thing I've ever watched like I yeah. it, it literally made me feel physically sick I don't think there's 
many things that have made me feel physically sick when I've watched it. Here's a little odd one. So I've not read it, but there is a... Uh, we talked about apocalypses earlier with the, the yeah. fire and the, the red orange tint, smoke. The red yeah. tint of the episode, yes. Yeah. sepiary, I yeah. thought. Um, so there is a particular Stephen King classic, I hear, called The Stand. Yeah, well, yeah. well, you know, The Stand is, I have to say adaptation wise it's a difficult watch the stand i remember it being in two extremely long parts um but yeah it's a very prophetic um i've read it it's a very prophetic um book where the memories the the visions of what these people need to do is in their dreams essentially so we're talking prophetic dreams here yeah are we are we not thinking of warden lacy well potentially yeah so i can see that connection because yeah God set his path before him in a series of prophetic dreams. Well, that's it. It's, that's the Very thing. Very subtle, though, because I've yeah. not read The Stand. Yeah, um, it, do read it. It's difficult. I will. I think it's difficult. It's difficult readers. It's not a very enjoyable book. I, I've only ever given up on two books in life. One of them was it, wasn't it? Oh, three. Uh, so yeah. one of them was it, but that was for entirely different reasons. The other one was Les Mis, because it's better on stage, you can sing. Um, and the third one was Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. There you go. Hard um, book. But yeah, check out The Stand if you haven't. Check it well, out. Well, I think we will. So let's talk about some stuff we touched on in this pod. So Castle View, which is, I want to call it like a suburb of Castle Rock. Yeah. But it's, it kind of is. It's a neighbouring, smaller village it's town a, thing. It's a bit like the real posh bit of Castle Rock that's yeah. separated. So it's where uh, Buster Keaton lives in Castle View. Lovely. Yeah. His wife Myrtle. R.I.P. Myrtle. Myrtle. Um, so it, it it harks back to a lot of Stephen King. So we've talk, I've mentioned their needful things. It's mentioned in the body. It's mentioned in something called the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Oh yeah, I think I read that. Yeah, no, I have as well. Yeah, it's really Gordy. good. Um, it's not but scary it, though, is it? No, but actually, Stephen King is not always scary. No, I know, but it's not. It's not like a horror book. Uh, no, it's it's very kind of real lifey, and I and I actually like the fact that we're expanding Castle Rock into either its suburbs or its adjoining towns mm. well, in in this kind of multiverse. Yeah, and what what's great here is we have Castle View. Now we've got Castle, we've got Castle Rock, Castle View. We know we're getting lots of locations. We've got Castle, Castle County. Lake. Castle County, you've got the Castle Bluff, you've got the Black Mountains, which is where the fire is. So you're really getting this sense of the whole of Castle County being built up here. And it gives this amazing sense of geography. And like I said, with that fire encapsulating everything this episode, I think it really gives a bit of a timer and a bit of dread around this small section of, of main, main townage. So we talked about this one a little bit earlier. Um, and I, I feel free to throw in your opinions here. But when the kid is leaving prison, um, for no legit reason, with no legit name, he gets to experience this beautiful video that tells him all about what it's going to be like when you leave prison. Please, you know, elaborate and, and dress up your story. Change who you are. Who will you be when you leave? Now, the gentleman on that video is Lou Hadley. And Correct. we've mentioned this earlier Yeah, in Shawshank. Byron Hadley was a, uh, I'm going to quote here. Captain Byron Hadley, yeah, the boy. Notoriously abusive guard. Yeah. And I think that is AKA wanker. Yeah, he was a dick. Yeah, Um, really horrible. Really nasty, nasty man. Um, Do we think that Lou Hadley? 100%. Is, is a descendant. A descendant of, 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 of Byron Hadley. I think that's what they're going for. I listened to the um, official um, 
Same. Po- podcast. Uh, and for anyone who hasn't listened to that, they release a official companion podcast for Castle Rock. The episodes are quite short. They're only about 25 minutes, but you do get some interesting little insights. And as podcasters and reviewers, we would be amiss not to... Or we'd be remiss, sorry, to, to not go and check that because it's valuable information, especially mm, when we're talking about... Um, where we think the showrunners are coming from with certain ways that they're directing things, they intended that to be a descendant of of Captain Hadley. So I'm going to throw this over to Melbourne. Uh, Gaz, do you think this is just a lovely hark back to Shawshank and that lovely short story by Stephen King, or do you think we will see Lou Hadley again? No, I think um, I think that was probably just an, an Easter egg in the like more traditional sense. It's a little... Uh, a, a little nod to the the big Stephen King fans, um, or to well, don't even even have to be a big Stephen King fan, do you? you have to be a Shawshank fan. Shawshank no. fan, a I fan think, of the Shank. I reckon that is probably it. I um I agree with you, Gaz. Actually, I think um that it's a really lovely Easter egg, and that's all it is. You know, and Stephen King has said this week, "Can you stop focusing on the Easter eggs and think about the amazing yeah. acting?" And to be fair, and I'm going to throw this out in King Corner, the acting is fantastic. The show is amazing. Yeah. But the reason we watch it as Stephen King fans is because we want to know what we're harking back oh, 100%, to. Hundred um, percent. And yeah, absolutely. We even uh, tweeted. So Stephen King put that out on Twitter. He was like, um, "Ignore the Easter eggs. Just enjoy the show for what it is." So we tweeted him back saying, "Yeah." But we've got a whole segment on our podcast called King Corner. So if you don't mind, <laughs> we are going to focus on the Easter eggs. We'll carry on with that. He did not reply to us. I mean, Could you believe let's it? Be fair, we have spent a good a good hour probably talking about the the acting and um and yeah. and we're, we we just we need some time to talk about the theories, the King Corner, the Easter eggs, don't we? Oh yeah. So I've got another one. Does anybody remember Juniper Hill? Yeah, boy. Asylum. Mm-hmm. It's where the crazies go when they're in Castle Rock. Scary, isn't it? Juniper Hill uh, is mentioned in the scene where um, Henry is getting the kid tested for, you know, family, red, whatever the rest of the words Church, were. That's all I velvet, remember. Velvet, all that sort of Love jazz. They're like, oh, yeah, get him in a bed in an asylum on Monday. It's like, well, you don't even know if he's crazy yet. Why are you sending him to an well, asylum? He's, feels, not, yeah. he's not well, is he? He's not crazy, he just doesn't speak. Uh, who can name me some characters uh, from the Stephen King canon yes. who have been interred at Juniper Hill? Go, Lucy. So in um, 11, what is it? 112263, I believe his name's Billy. He goes there after mm-hmm. meeting up with Mr. Man. Does he? Yeah. I like 112263. That's such a very... I, 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 Full disclosure, I haven't read the book, but in the show, the show's show was very good. good. The show's quite good, yeah. Um, yeah, he goes there and he jumps out the window, I believe. Also on Hulu, Because I he's believe. like, um, I'm going mad because I'm friends with a time traveller who's trying to save JFK. Yeah, We'd um, all go mad, quite um, frankly. So I don't know any characters specifically, because I do know quite a bit, but I know someone from It's been in there. Yes, and who was that? Oh, I can't remember for the life of me. Henry Bowers. Oh, yes. But yeah, so I know that a lot of characters obviously have... Have gone in. It's basically like in Batman, the Arkham Asylum. Juniper Hill is essentially yeah. where all of the crazy people in King Cannon seem to end up. So you also have one of my favourite characters from the King Cannon, Nettie Cobb. Good from name Things. from Needful Things. Uh, was originally uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sectioned. Sectioned at Juniper Hill for yeah. losing her shit and killing her husband. Fair play. But yeah, then fair. she was uh, released into the care, essentially, of Polly Chambers. Polly Chambers. 
Who was in love with Alan Pangborn? So oh, it's, it's just of, a beautiful circle of love. Circle of Castle Rock madness. Love and crazy and madness. Um, we've mentioned Jackie Torrance, the Jack Torrance. Yeah, we don't shining. need to go there. Not going to get there again. One. We talked about the audio cues. Uh, what I would like to talk about, though, finally, is the Crimson King, which well, we touched on him last touched on week. Him last week. I've never touched him, but you did last week. Yeah. Um, so there are some very interesting uh, bits of theory around this. So uh, we'll talk about the villain Randall Flagg. Yeah. Who appears yeah. In... The man in black. Well, essentially, yeah. He, he's, your, he's the man in black. He's yeah. your mib. Your mib of I've read Castle my Dark Rock. Tower stuff. That's where I'm up on that. that I'm you up have. on all my Dark that Towers. But one of his symbols is happy faces. Now, do we all remember Zalewski? Zalewski. Zalewski. Yeah. Zed. Zed. When he started drawing happy faces on yeah. the CCTV yeah. cameras. Yeah. Yes, we do. We do. That yeah. was the symbol of Randall Flagg. Yeah. Um, we also mentioned, or it might not have been the episode I was in, but uh, either three or four, we mentioned about the references to the Crimson uh, King in the jail cell that the kid yeah. was put into. The, the biblical The biblical quote of the verse. apocalypse, which is was last week's episode. Yeah, we, we, we referenced the, the cloak uh bathed in blood I think mm-hmm. it was so there are two theories that come from this and I'm going to open it out to the floor in a second two thoughts before we finish up the pod because this is our last easter egg um, is the kid he's got to get some kind of name I'm having this is driving me nuts is he Randall Flagg no do you know? no is he either an agent of the Crimson King That's or is possible. he potentially the son of Randall Flagg okay right so obviously the man in black um, is completely influenced and serves the Crimson King, right? So I, and I, I said this last week in our King Corner, that the Crimson King uses others to do his bidding and has delved into sort of small town Maine before. Um, I think it was Insomnia that was the novel that I referenced. Yeah. Um. So he's he's not adverse to influencing things. This episode, with the connotations of this wildfire, the kid being released, this orange tone to everything. Gordy. Gordy. It feels very Crimson Kingy at the moment. Like everything is 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 has this overarching evil. And we're at the moment we're led to believe it's the kid, but it's very possible that it's all being influenced by the Crimson King. If they were to tie in the Crimson King, which is honestly like the upper echelons of the multiverse sort of situation to small town Maine, that would be an extremely impressive thing for the showrunners to do. And I would love it. I just question whether casual viewers might enjoy it because it is going from something that is sort of supernatural to, you know, heaven and hell levels of supernatural. Can I be honest? Um, I'm a massive fan of Stephen King. I love the supernatural, but my uh, expectations of Castle Rock are where it is now. And I feel like if we took the route of everything being controlled under the Crimson King, it would not be the show I wanted. That no. is the show Dark Tower yeah. should have been. I think it has yeah. avoided silliness so far. Yes. yes. I think the, the horror is very much rooted in the everyday. It's very solid. And if we start bringing in... the, I'm not even like that familiar with the Crimson King, but I believe if it's like, oh, there's this big evil mastermind that's pulling all the strings, it could verge into silliness which it hasn't and I wouldn't want it to either yeah. I mean but, I'm going to liken it a bit to Game of Thrones here in the respect yes. that Game of Thrones really roped in a lot of people to the fantasy genre by essentially 
making it seem like political bloodshed for like a whole season or maybe two seasons. And the fantasy element didn't really start creeping in until later seasons. I think a show like Castle Rock needs to do the same thing because a lot of people are put off by quirky supernatural dramas. And I think it's going about it the right way at the moment where there's just enough intrigue there, but there's enough real life horror, like Lucy just mentioned, that is keeping people gripped and making it believable. Like some of it might not even be supernatural. Yeah. Um, and I think they just need to stick on that path. Um, so I hope, I mean, look, as a Stephen King fan and, and as someone who, you know, likes the Dark Tower series, I would love to see the Crimson King actually have some sort of influence. I never want to see him ever. I just want to have like a, a tip that this is an influence. And if this is what we're getting, that's nice because casual viewers won't even mind. It's just creepy as fuck. Yeah, um, it's got it's got to stay grounded. But even even with even with um, Game of Thrones, particularly in the books, um, Song of Ice and Fire, there's like there is hint that, that there's a lot of hints that um, it's actually kind of based on gods yeah rather than <clears throat> the, the 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 human realm yeah. so to speak exactly um and so it could perhaps kind of go down that route where you know we don't we don't see the gods fighting in game of thrones but there is a suggestion or there's belief from certain people well, that, and their representations the fight. controlled yeah yeah and you know perhaps there could be like I think, yeah, like you're saying, there's 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 influence there, but it's it's implied rather than being explicit and seeing the Crimson King running around going, ha ha ha, look at all of the evil I'm causing. Um, it's probably just that there's a, a hint of it. I think it'll be interesting to see where they take it. I have one last tiny little nugget of joy to give you for the Stephen King Easter eggs King Corner segment of this podcast. Now, this happened halfway through recording this evening. A very new Facebook fan of ours, Marie. Uh, I'm not going to full name you, but thank you for your input here. It was really appreciated. So Marie lives in Maine. And, That's uh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. So she's just started listening to our podcast. She's on episode three, listening yeah. to the Molly episode. Yeah. She's also uh, got Stephen King on her friends list on Facebook, right? She lives in Maine. It's not uh, unlegit. That's crazy. Anyway, so she said to me, or, or us... On, pod, on, uh, on Facebook, listening to Castle Rock podcast in episode three, Molly episode, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, did you know, this is me ad-libbing here, that's quotes over, uh, that Stephen King has a dog and he often posts pictures of his dog uh, and last uh, image that he posted of her was maybe three weeks ago and the caption goes like thus... Molly, a.k.a. the Thing of Evil, takes a break to refill her bile ducts and the anger organ that serves as her heart. Molly is the name of Stephen King's dog that he refers to as the Thing of Evil. Oh, interesting. What do we all think about that? Mm. Um, that thank that, you, Marie. Yeah, thank you very thank much for that, Marie. Marie, and thanks for getting in touch. Uh, we will be bringing in um, feedback as of this week. I'll mention that after King Corner. But... Um, that is a very interesting little tidbit, mm-hmm. uh, as you would say. Um, it's probably him just fucking around with us. But if his dog's called Molly, I, love it. I quite like the idea. You know, I like the idea that all these things are sort of in- interconnected in these little subtle ways. And he, you know, he's funny, Stephen King, isn't he? Because he was like, you know, we tweeted him saying after he said about um, 
ignore the Easter eggs. And then he's going out putting little pictures of his dog called Molly mm. and, you know, saying all Doggy this stuff. Easter eggs. Dog Dogster eggs. And he <laughs> loves his he loves his dogs. He loves his Cujo, Cujo 2, Cujo 3, the son or grandson of Cujo. Mm-hmm. He loves it. So, um, yeah, like that. Thank you very much for that. That was awesome. And if you've got any other main um, hints and tips, please send them in because they're fascinating. Thanks very much, Marie. It was uh, a nice surprise to hear that about an hour ago in recording and I really wanted to say something. So I've saved myself right for the end. Uh, That is it for this week's King Corner. I won't be here next week, so somebody will be taking over. If we've missed anything, pop us a a tweet or an Instagram message um, or ping us an email and we'll happily bring it up next week. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for that, Em. Good King Corner this week. Lots of stuff, lots of stuff that we got through there. Lots of Easter eggs. And I hope it's given a bit of insight into how this show is excellently weaving um, a lot of these Easter eggs into its narrative. Um, so that's it. Another another week, another episode done. Um, I want to say thanks to everyone for listening to this. And as I've said before, if you've enjoyed it, please do subscribe. We appreciate it. The show's, well, this podcast for us is, is doing very well at the moment. People seem to be liking King Corner. People seem to be liking the deep dive into the scene by scene. So if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe. Now, as we said at the start, when we started doing these um, episodes and these recaps, we weren't having any uh, feedback options from people listening because basically they had three episodes at once we wanted to get our feet and our sort of format sorted with the show but now we are open to feedback so um, if you do want to feedback anything if you're living in America if you're living in Maine if you are a massive Stephen King fan if you think we're doing something wrong or if you want to give us a hint and say hey you guys missed out on this easter egg or I thought about this connection to this character then please do send us an email our email address is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com that is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com send us anything a review or a theory you've got we'll you know we'll probably read it out next week if we depend on how many we get we'll you know we'll look at them and we'll read out the best ones next week um so there will be a feedback section um other than that i want to say thanks if you have enjoyed it subscribe if not check out our other podcast which is just fan critical um that is all event movies black mirror stranger things game of thrones westworld Everything we've ever done is on Fan Critical. This has been Castle Rock Critical. And today I've been joined by Emma. Good night, everyone. Lucy. See ya. Gaz. All right. Thanks, mate. Bye, everybody. And I've been your host, Len. Um, Thanks, guys. See you next week in Castle Rock. Bye.